In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Please be seated. The story of the Exodus, and by the Exodus, I don't mean just the departure. Etymologically, uh, the word Exodus means departure. So when I say Exodus, I'm not just talking about the night that the Israelites left Egypt, but of the entire story from the birth and call of Moses to the entrance into the promised land. And this story of the Exodus uh, in long form is the story of the gospel. And the story of the Israelites is the story of the church and her members. We see this in scripture. We see this in the church's hymnody, our opening hymn, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. It's one of those hymns where if we would just maybe sit here for two or three minutes and reflect upon it and meditate upon it and talk about it, we wouldn't need a sermon, even though you'd still get one, of course. Uh, But replete with uh, this biblical imagery that we're the people of God now wandering in this wilderness. And yes, God is with us. Story of Israel is the story of the church. A few examples. The deliverance of the Israelites on that first Passover Eve corresponds to our deliverance by the Passover Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ. This great salvation which he wrought for us by his life, death, and resurrection. The crossing of the Red Sea, another example, corresponds to the sacrament of baptism. We see that Paul makes this connection both in Romans 6 and in 1 Corinthians 10, which we'll come back to in a moment. The giving of the law at Sinai. This corresponds to the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And focusing in on today's lesson, the bread from heaven, which the Israelites ate in the wilderness, corresponds to and is a type of the true manna, who came down from heaven. Again, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who feeds and sustains us with himself in Holy Scripture and supremely in the most holy sacrament of his body and blood. We are people, as Christians, as the church, of word and sacrament. And the two are not opposed to one another, There can be distinctions made, but there should not be, in my opinion, any separation because the two are inextricably bound up together. In the wilderness in which we journey, being led by the Spirit of God as Israel was led by the pillar of cloud and fire, we are to feast on the words of the word, And that is Holy Scripture and on the Word himself in the mystery of the Holy Eucharist. The story of Israel is the story of the church. And I think it's important for us to remember as Christians where we are at in the Exodus story, where we live 
in the Exodus story, what chapter we find ourselves in. We are in the wilderness. We have not yet reached the promised land. As Christians, we are strangers and pilgrims in this present age. We're making our way towards a heavenly country. Bishop N.T. Wright, in reference to today's reading from Exodus 16, he puts it this way. He says, The wilderness wanderings of Israel are a regular New Testament metaphor for the life of the Christian family between Easter and God's final victory. The grumbling of the people, redeemed and sustained, but not yet home in the land of milk and honey, is sadly characteristic of Christians as well. Or why would so many passages, that is in the New Testament, warn against it? There is a constant tension between believing in what has already been achieved and appreciating the scale of what has yet to be achieved. Stress one and people think you're ignoring the other. The now and the not yet are the regular left-right of the long march through the desert. Those who don't appreciate this end up wondering why they are limping. The story of the Israelites is the story of the church in that it mirrors the salvation of the church and, as Bishop Wright pointed out, it regrettably mirrors the struggles of the church. If you read the Pentateuch, I mean, if you read the Old Testament, you'll find quickly that Israel did not bat a thousand. And oftentimes, they were, weren't even getting on base. They were striking out hard. Israel struggled often in the wilderness. They grumbled. They complained. They disobeyed. They rebelled. They apostatized and worshipped idols. And here in our text this morning, they pined for Egypt. They longed to go back from whence they came. They started believing these monstrous lies that life was better back there under the tyranny of Pharaoh. Hey guys, we had an all-you-can-eat flesh pot buffet back in Egypt. Israel struggled, and we, we noticed this. We should read the Old Testament. We should ponder the story of Israel. Not so that we can look down our noses at them. You guys know this. I've said this ad nauseum. One of my pet peeves is when people get, I'll, I'll use the, what are the 20-year-olds saying now? When they get judgy about people in the Bible. I've heard comments like, I mean, how could Israel, after God did all these miracles, he sent plagues, he struck down one of the most powerful empires ever to be. He parted the Red Sea. He took them through on dry land. He shows up in fire and in smoke and in thunder and in lightning upon Mount Sinai. He feeds them 
with the bread of angels. How could they not trust God? How could they turn away five seconds later and worship the golden calf? After all that he did for them, how could they fall into unbelief? If that is your question this morning, the answer lies within. Why don't you trust God after all that he's done for you? We read the Old Testament so that, on the one hand, we can be inspired to imitate that which is virtuous, like Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, recounting the faith and the deeds of the great cloud of witnesses are part of it. One cloud among the clouds, if you will. And so that we can avoid their downfall, avoid the mistakes they made in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is part of St. Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 10. I'll read some of it, not all of it. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. In other words, the Israelites who were brought out of Egypt, they were engaged in the sacramental life of the church under the Old Covenant. Paul writes, he continues, For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us so that we might self-righteously look down our nose at them. No, that we might not desire evil as they did. And at the end, he says again, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Two asides, and these are free. How could you ever read that and then say, well, the Old Testament isn't relevant? Christians don't need to be reading that. It's written down for us, Paul says. Then he also says, written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Now, there's about a hundred of these things where it's like, if however long God has you here, <laughs> it's, I have a list of like a hundred things like, hell or high water, we're going to learn this. And one of these things is, is that the stakes are higher under the new covenant than they were under the old. Because we have the reality. This idea that, well, I'm so glad that Jesus came because now I can just, like, chill and not care about anything. Paul's saying precisely the opposite here. 
Because we have more than they had. We have the law of Christ. Which is not external to us. That is written on stone tablets. And then it's to us in our own strength. To try to live up to God's law. But no, the spirit who lives within us. If we know the Lord. If we're in Christ's church. Has written the law on our hearts. And will now, if we cooperate with grace. God's not going to zap us. But if in surrender we cooperate with the work of the Spirit in our hearts, Ezekiel says he'll cause us to walk in his statutes and commandments. He will transform us into his likeness. So that being like Christ becomes a second nature. The story of Israel is our story. We too, as Christians, can long for that from which we were rescued and redeemed. I probably should have just crossed out can. But we do. We do this. At least I do. If you don't, Come talk to me afterwards. We'll try to get you a day on the church calendar, a feast for you, if we can do that. But the, the issue, the, the reality is that in various and sundry ways, we, we turn around, we repent. But the problem is we turn away from the promised land and we start walking back towards Egypt. We walk away from the sun and towards the darkness. Despite Easter, despite this so great a salvation, we often long for the things of this world. We do. And I say we, not as some sort of rhetorical ploy to, you know, manipulate you. But because the fact is that oftentimes you are worldly and oftentimes I am worldly. That we love the things in this world. That we prefer the bread of earth to the bread of heaven. We prefer things temporal, which can be good. But our love for things temporal can become disordered and we prefer them to things eternal. We're in the wilderness, but we're hungry. We fail to feast on the words of the word and on the word himself. Our Lord said, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So here in Exodus chapter 16, uh, the fathers of the church, and this will be no surprise to many of you, they interpret this passage Eucharistically, to be talking about the Holy Eucharist. 
the bread, the manna from which scripture itself does this in Jesus and John 6. So no surprise. But they also interpret it in reference to the scriptures that we do. We live off the words of God. That they, they feed us and sustain our souls. And one of the many ways that Scripture sustains us in the wilderness is by reminding us of the truth. It reminds us in the truth. I mean, what do we just do? I mean, that's what a lot of Scripture is. The psalm we just sent. Sorry, I don't have it memorized. There we go. Verse 5 of Psalm 105. Remember the marvelous works that he hath done. His wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Recounting the mighty deeds of God. That's a big part of the Christian life. It's what happens in Holy Scripture, the mighty saving deeds of God in and through Jesus Christ and by the Spirit are recounted and God is worshipped. The Scriptures, being divinely inspired and therefore true, protect us from the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil, from being deluded and thinking that things were better back in Egypt. The scriptures remind us of what we have in Christ at present. And they anchor us in the hope that we have for the future. Which way are you walking? Are you walking towards the blessed life of the age to come towards the promised land? or back toward Egypt? And the answer is likely both. In some ways in our life, we're kind of striving towards the things of God, and in other ways, we're kind of, we're confused. We're double-minded. So we're, like, if you were to track on, like, your iPhone or fitness app, if you could do this, you know, track your spiritual walk, it might look erratic. Thanks for laughing, Eric. Appreciate that, bud. <laughs> are we being led by our flesh? Or are we being led by the Spirit? St. Paul, within the motif of the Exodus, writes in Romans, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You didn't receive the spirit that was going to lead you to death and to destruction. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out the Father. We need to remember where we are in the story, we, that we're in the wilderness. a similar point to remembering what kind of ship we're on. If the church is a ship, 
It's a boat if it's an ark. It's a battleship, it's not a cruise ship. We're in the wilderness. And so the hardship of life in general and the struggle of the Christian life in particular shouldn't surprise us. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and authorities in high places. Do we, when we hear that verse, when we read that verse, do we just kind of rush past the verb? We wrestle. That means we're engaged in a struggle, in a fight, in a battle. That's where we're at in the story. But lest we be discouraged, we need to remember that as Israel was not alone in the wilderness, they were not left unprepared in the wilderness, so is the church not alone. God is in our midst. In this wilderness of this age, we as Israel did, we behold the Lord of glory, the glory of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ. In this wilderness, we're not left to our own strength, really put it this way, to our own weakness. We have the Spirit leading us, prompting us, and not external to us, but within us, who writes, again, the law of Christ, not on stone tablets, sent by Amazon to your doorstep so that you can read them, but written on your heart. That's the work of regeneration, of new birth. That God takes out our heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. And he writes on our hearts the law of Christ. We are in the wilderness, but how did we get here? We got into the wilderness. Where were we? We were in Egypt. Enslaved to sin, to death, to Satan, without hope. Lost in our sins. And he's redeemed us by his blood. He's brought us out of death into life. Why? In order that we may worship him and know him and become like him. And though the fullness of all of that is yet to come, we have available to us here and now eternal and abundant life. Dallas Willard, who's a Christian author, he he was being uh, interviewed and he said, everyone talks about going to heaven when you die. And that's great, but I'm really interested in getting, getting to heaven before I die. Of experiencing Jesus Christ, of knowing him, his power in the here and now, which is available to us. The kingdom of God comes on earth as in heaven, in and through the church, though we await its fullness at the last day, 
We need to recognize what we have now. We need to recall the truth. We need to remember where we are. We're in the wilderness. We we need to remember who we are, that we're sons and daughters of God, and whose we are. That we're children of Almighty God who have been equipped with everything that we need for life and godliness. That God has given us this gift of the scriptures, which is a great gift. I know I sound like a 1970s Baptist preacher. We, we, need, we need the Bible. It's, it's a gift to us. In it we encounter, in the words of the Bible, we encounter the living word. And it changes us and it transforms us. And sometimes, oftentimes, you're going to hear things from the scriptures. You're going to read things that you don't like or that you don't agree with. Good. Because what needs to happen is that the Spirit needs to diagnose you and the Spirit needs to wound you so that He can heal you. You've probably heard this. God loves you where you are but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. He met the woman at the well where she was at. She didn't stay the same. He didn't say, you're doing great. Keep it up. That's not how Jesus interacts with people in Scripture. So we need to remember where we are, who we are, whose we are. And to recall the truth. That abundant life is found in Jesus Christ alone. Abundant life, which he offers to us, is found in Jesus Christ our Lord, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, world without end. Amen.